to Get Real KC with Jen and Eric. Kansas City's consumer-facing real estate podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Get Real KC, where we are overflowing with a passion for all things real estate. I'm Eric Jurgensen. I'm Jen Justice. And today we have with us in studio realtor extraordinaire and owner of Kansas City Legacy Properties. That is a company that specializes in helping you deal with inherited properties. Eddie Van Buskirk. Eddie, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Oh, no, it's great. And this is such an important topic and a lot of reasons why people end up entering into the real estate market because uh, the, somebody uh, has has passed and we've got property that we need to deal with. And it can be a complicated, sticky little wicket. So I think it's absolutely fantastic you've come to share sticky all your wicket. knowledge with us. Sticky wicket. It's very, very yeah, sticky. It can be. So... Uh, First of all, let's get some background. How did you uh, realize that this was going to be a focus that you found important? Well, it's kind of a weird situation. I get asked this question all the time, and I'm, I'm like, well, I'm kind of just that guy that stumbled into it. It's really how it happened. It, I wanted to be in real estate. I didn't know how I was going to do it or what area I was going to be in, and I was listening to podcasts about all different subjects, real estate, investing, selling, agent-wise, everything. And because of that, uh, I listened to one on probate. People who, this guy's selling a program on probate. And so I bought it. I had not enough money to pay for it, but I figured out a way to pay for it. And it gave me some tools on contacting people who had property through probate. And... At the time, my only thing was I'm going to buy their house. So when you have a hammer, everything's a nail, and <laughs> I would just smash those nails all day long, even if they weren't nails. And so I talked with this lady, and I was like, I, her mom died unexpectedly at 62, and it was kind of a big shock for her. And so when... When I, I, was, I was like, hey, I've got an offer. I'll make an offer. Are you prepared to sell this house? Are you me- mentally and emotionally prepared to sell this house? And she was like, yes, I, I'm ready to go. Like, Which wasn't the case. Right. She yeah. was not ready to sell the house. And it's, something, it's a common thing that I see a lot is people are not emotionally ready to let go of that property. It's funny because when they answer yes, that means they're logically ready, mm-hmm. right? So the, the analytical part of them is like, yeah, that's the smart thing to do is to get rid of this asset. I don't want to maintain it. I don't want to. But yeah, the emotion side of it, wildly different. And people aren't always realistic with themselves about that. Yep, absolutely. And this lady, she she wasn't ready and she didn't want to take an off. She was I don't know. I don't exactly remember why she wouldn't want, want to do it. But then we went through the winter and the pipes froze. They they ruined the hardwood floors. They ruined her, her mom's stuff that did have value. The amount of money she was going to get for the house now decreased. The bank started foreclosing on her. And then she was like, just give me what you can. Like, whatever works, I'm going to take it. And now after that situation, I was like, there's got to be a better way to help these people and kind of hand-holding to step them through a process. And so that's when I was like, let's create a tool belt for people and have screwdriver and pliers and all those different things to help in different situations so that we can step people through the process one piece at a time until we get it to where 
we're ready to sell the house. Yeah, no, and I mean, I think that's fantastic. And we talked a little bit before, and we'll talk some more here just in general about you know uh, what realtors' job is, and then what it is they do to truly service their clients. And um, I think what you're describing here is, and we should get into some of these things that people don't think about. And they don't think about uh, a realtor, or maybe I should say a great realtor or the right realtor, uh, can help them with some of these things. So so let's talk about some of those things that other than, yes, we need to uh, put the house on the market, we need to get an offer on the house, somebody needs to lead us through all of that paperwork, et cetera. We'll, we'll talk about the P word here in a minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what are some of the other things that, that uh, you at Kansas City Legacy Properties uh, can kind of assist with that you've put in this tool belt? Well, there's a, a lot of people want to do it themselves. And I think that's the biggest problem with trying to deal with inherited property is doing it themselves. While they can do it, and it's something that most anybody can do, it becomes awful. After a while, the excitement phase... How many people can actually do that, though? That's what I really want to know is because there's so many moving parts to... When someone passes away, getting utilities covered, getting insurance covered, getting mortgage payments covered, keep going, keep going. And I'm going to guess that there's about 100 things that you probably need to do before you even get to contract, title, underwriter, yada, yada, yada. So how many people can actually do that themselves? Well, that's what I'm getting to is is that most people think that they can do it themselves. And so here's the biggest thing that I hear is, is... people hear what I do and they're like, oh, I wish I knew about you six months ago, a year ago, whenever I was going through it because they were trying to do it themselves and they didn't know all of those hundred things that they needed. And so they kind of fumbled their way through the entire process. So um, that is, can you repeat your question again? Because Yeah. So what are some of these these things that um, aren't necessarily just the sale of the house Mm -hmm. that you guys can help with or do help with overall in the process? Like- like you're, you're talking about do it themselves. Well, part of what that is, is, is going through and figuring out what to do with, we'll just say mom or dad's stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. That's, those are like the obvious things. What's to do with the stuff in the house. That's like an obvious thing. Like first thing that I always tell people to do is change the insurance because when a property comes vacant, if it's over a certain amount of time, just because you're paying the homeowner's insurance that was set up for the house doesn't mean that that's covering it now that the person's deceased and no one's living in the house. So I always tell people right off the bat, hey, have you talked to your insurance provider about this? And and they're like, well, I never thought about that. And second thing is, this might sound silly and almost ridiculous, but I tell people to change the locks and change the garage code. Yeah. You don't know who has that information. That's a and great point. that could be, you know, you might be like, well, I'm locking out my brother and sister. Well, I'm... Depending so, on how things are uh, yeah, exactly. Said, Sorry it, to tell you this. Things go crazy. There uh, is a lot of times people call me and they're like, my brother or sister took da-da-da, you know, gun collection, coin collection. Doesn't even have to be the brother or sister. It could be the aunt, the uncle, the cousin. You don't know. The neighbor... Yeah, oh, the, yeah neighbor, the neighbor. Maybe somebody's coming in to help with cleaning. Mm-hmm. Maybe uh, you know, maybe medical personnel if they were getting stuff at home. I so I've I've been through this, and we can sort of utilize my experience. When my father passed, which has been quite a while now, uh, I did it myself, and uh, we can talk about some of the the good things and the bad things. But I'll let everybody know right off the bat. Um, I took two weeks off 
of work and this is all I did 10 hours a day for two weeks to dismantle the house to, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I didn't have any family drama and it was exhausting. Yeah. It was, and at the end of two weeks, right, you know, work is like, okay, well, you're back. Hope you're, you know, feeling better. Sorry about your father and all of that. And I'm like, I can't even see straight because, you know, so. You're sleep deprived. For... <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. that happened to me, too, when my mom passed away. And if I just had to handle the real estate side and some of that, it, you're right. The level of emotion when it is someone close to you that has passed is a different level. And I was, for example, up at 3 and 4 a.m. and the neighbors texting me, Jen. I see the lights on in the house in your vehicle out front, and it's 3, 4 a.m. And then you text her back, what are you doing up? Okay. She's a cop, so she's mm. shift. So I'm like, yeah, fine. This is just the time that I had to go through all of this stuff that I needed to go through, you know? So yeah. that was the worst part for me was going through all the things. Like, ugh. Yeah, it's all the things. People don't really realize how much stuff can get packed into a house in 30-plus years. Well, we've talked about this, right? The average American household has over 100,000 unique items in it. It's a lot. And, yeah, for somebody then who's been living there a long time and has, yeah. yeah. Every holiday, all the paperwork, all the kitchen stuff that now is not relevant because nobody goes through their cabinets. (laughs) Right. Well... And then you add, like, I'm not... Silverware from 1965. <laughs> oh, I still have it. It's you know, silver-plated stuff, don't you know? So I do, too. Yeah. So, But, yeah, it's... Um, Why? I don't know. And I, I don't even consider myself a horribly sentimental guy. Um, and so uh, the people that are sentimental that are going through this, it's it, I watch them. Painstaking. It, it's brutal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, I would mentioned this earlier with the first lady I helped, is that when somebody dies unexpectedly, it is way more of a shock to people. So it is a much harder thing for people to let go of something that might be relatively simple or almost seem like trash. But for them, you know, they're letting go of the last thing of that person. Or, you know, when this is done, that that, that process, they, they're letting go. So it's, it's part of a grieving process that people are going through. And um, really tricky to navigate appropriately and be sensitive to uh, as they go through this. So not trying to rush it all and be like, come, right, on, yeah. come on, come on, come on. Like, it'd yeah. be when, like, when are we going to get this on the market? Yeah. Yeah, oh, that, trust me. My that, dad was like, come on, come on, come on. It was too fast for me, but it was. Right. But, but he's a, a, dealing with real estate. Time is money. Right. So yeah. depending on who's involved. And that's a that's a big piece, I think, too to desk is how many people could be involved who may or may not have to sign or do things or give approval i mean that gets so complicated sometimes because that's been and and people have different agendas right like my dad and i had very different ideas about when we should sell things when we should be rehabbing things how long i should have to go through things versus let's get a 40-yard dumpster and clean this out because that's what i've done to every flipped home that I've done for the last 40 years. That's how he does it. And to him, he just compartmentalized it. And this was no different. And this is what we were doing. And I'm like, whoa, 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 pump the brakes. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. So yeah, that those are big issues that you, as you are getting someone to help you, you need somebody to give you good, solid advice, but then to sort of understand, as you're saying, every situation can be a little bit different. Yes. Every single one of these is different. There's no like a cookie cutter plan that somebody gets that it's like, here you go. It's, we'll just do the exact same thing every single time. And, uh, so 
it makes it difficult because you've got a different number of people involved. You've got a different, you know, there, there might be a mortgage that needs to get paid every month and you, you might not have any assets to pay that out of. So, and nobody can pay it themselves. There's a whole lot of tricky things that go into this that make it, you know, either time sensitive, you know, yeah, we want to grieve, but we don't have the luxury of grieving because otherwise we're going to lose the property. And right. that becomes yeah. a scary reality yeah. for a lot of people in this situation. Yeah. Mm. There's no cash assets. Nobody has the financial uh, ability to pick up the extra house payment. Now we're under a deadline. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, it, it's a, uh, an interesting thing to navigate. And then um, we're going to talk about this here in just a second. But then, as Jen mentioned, there's the whole legal side of this. Mm -hmm. And... and um, that's kind of an interesting thing as well because, um, well, uh, let's let's uh, put the p word out there. Let's talk probate. Um, and so, uh, give us a give us a definition of probate. Okay, here's my definition. This is like a just really simple way. Right. You know, if if you don't make a plan, somebody else will make it for you. In this case, it's you know the city of Kansas City's probate judge will make that decision for you so or it could be the county if it's within the county oh right? yeah the county okay. the county of jackson county thank you um, or or clay or but, but you go you go into probate even if you have a will correct? even if you have a will yes so you can go into probate with a will or without a will which is called intestate mm -hmm. um and the way to avoid probate is to do the pre-planning pre-planning have yeah. a lawyer draft it up it doesn't you know people think it's really expensive two thousand dollars to have peace of mind is really um and attorneys walk people through this really well so for people that have a lot of properties putting them transfer on death bank accounts whatever and the attorney you know they have really good checklists to help you get through that process and it is a little bit time consuming that was probably the biggest thing uh after my mom passed away is since my dad had a surviving spouse that makes things a little easier in a mm -hmm. lot of ways but if somebody passes away and somebody does not have a surviving spouse and then we're dealing with heirs and there's no plan mm -hmm. we've got yeah. Time constraints, problems, uh, publishings, you know, all kinds of things that come with that. Yeah. And and it's really the attorney can walk you through that checklist and save you so much time because on the backside, if someone passes away without a plan, it's a whole lot more time. We're talking about weeks, whereas you could just set aside a week and maybe go do all of this stuff. Well, so and let's, then be let's done with it. Let's break it down a little bit. Um, and and so because, you know, let's face it, when somebody, you know, we don't tend to in our 50s or 60s uh, is, is, is typically when I think Americans start thinking about it. But frequently it's into the late 60s and 70s before they start doing this kind of planning. Obviously, we're going to find people that are doing it in their 20s and 30s. But um so if somebody dies unexpectedly, dies young, um, or, you know, just because, you know, uh, the son or the daughter or the niece or nephew, whoever it may be, thinks this is a good idea, doesn't necessarily mean that the person that would have to actually do it, right? So the older person, again, these are generic, you know, they if they don't want to, it's not going to get done. So people are going to be in positions where they have to deal with probate. And so let's talk. Let's let's go from like the the hardest case, and then we'll kind of come back up. So let's talk about probate intestate, which means that somebody has passed on, and they own uh, doesn't depend on what they own. But we're going to talk specifically about real property, real estate, mm -hmm. um, and there's no will, right? So uh, this immediately has to go to probate court. Probate's a legal process, 
And so uh, depending on what jurisdiction you're in is which court deals with it. And the first thing they have to establish, if I'm not mistaken, and you'll know this better than I do, is who are in fact the heirs, right? Who are the heirs? And then from that, the judge will decide who will be the executor of the estate. So if the executor, which could be named in a will, Mm -hmm. uh, and, and without a will, the judge has to make that decision. And it and then isn't it the county administrator that can become that person? Yes. Yeah. So, so the, each county, this was interesting to me before I really dug into politics. I didn't realize what that person actually did. And so I have learned like these different people get elected to office and then they are responsible for um, kind of administering these probates. And maybe I'm not using exactly the correct terminology, but they're they're responsible for for these things that come to the county where maybe they don't have heirs or maybe they don't have somebody that's capable of uh, mentally being in charge of an estate. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, I've dealt with the one in Jackson County. His name is John Killian, and he has a very specific system set up for all of those that come in and a way of liquidating it. I'm not exactly sure what they do with the money. I've always been curious on what happens with, with the <laughs> money. When, there, when there's no heirs. When there's no heirs and they sell a house, like, where, where does, where does that, that money, money go? go? So it's always been kind of a head-scratcher on that. But, uh, yeah, there's will leave that one right where it is. <laughs> when, when, there, when there are heirs that are identifiable, the judge could also appoint an heir an executor. Correct. It doesn't yeah. have to necessarily be I don't be even know. Government. Does it always have to be an heir? Uh, it does not have to be somebody who's like physically related to them. I, okay, yeah. Right, and well, and they can uh, they can appoint uh, lawyers, uh, executors also. Can't they, they can appoint a lawyer. They could appoint a neighbor. Like uh, that it was could very be, close to mm, someone that knew, that has an inner working knowledge to be helpful potentially. Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, that's very so, mm-hmm, good. So good information. and and then once an executor is established, that that executor theoretically has some oversight, but they've got a lot of control. They have a lot of control, but they have a lot of responsibility mm-hmm. and. Very, a lot of people don't know. I don't, I'm not sure if they don't know this, or, but they can get compensated for their role. In most cases, people don't. They do everything like a lot of heavy lifting and then split it evenly. And it doesn't quite make sh- sense to me with how much work they have to do, but I have heard that complaint from relatives. Like, sure. for example, one of my cousins um her mom passed away and i helped them through that process and at the end the brother was very upset because he had provided a lot of the money and done a lot of the heavy lifting and he had to split it six ways and he could not believe the little amount of money that he got that he had to split all those ways yeah Mm -hmm. well it's interesting because they're they're not always negative like that so when uh, well six people is a lot of people yeah it is (laughs) when uh so it's just could have been a million dollars though and it would have been a different story though right yeah when my just to give a nice story when when my father passed uh it's just my brother and i and my brother technically is the was the executor uh but he didn't live in town where my father uh lived uh, and my father ran a business out of his uh, uh, home as well. So I, as I mentioned, took two weeks off, uh, dismantled the business, did all of the things that you have to do. And there's a litany of them that I won't even remember, but we can go through some of them. I mean, even simple decisions like how many death certificates do I need to order are just, you know, it's nuts. Um, but then uh, then what we agreed um, 
uh, in when it came to splitting uh, the financial assets that were there was the first thing we did is we took two weeks off the top and paid my salary, right? Yeah. Because like, hey, you took two weeks completely off work, and I know you burned the vacation, but uh, I was actually working as a uh, contract software engineer at the time, so I didn't even get paid for the two weeks. And uh, it's just like, yeah, no, we we're gonna we're gonna compensate you for doing all of this work, and it was probably more than my salary. Yeah. Um, and then we're gonna start talking about dividing assets. So sometimes people can recognize how much work that is and be willing to to deal with that. It's interesting how greedy people get, though. Well, um, <laughs> death does funny things to people, and my dad and I were, you know, and my dad ultimately was really in control of when my mom passed away. And so he was very generous with me. Uh, my brother's a different animal. So he was very generous. But in reality, it was 100% his. Mm -hmm. right. And he was in charge of 100% of everything, 100% of the proceeds. And which we had a, a different piece where an attorney tried to jump in because he was just sure that my nephew was wrote in that will. Well, no, he wasn't. It was 100% my dad. It always was. Right. But my dad compensated me as the realtor, as the person that was, you mm. know, getting that. But we had the family in and it wasn't a lock situation. But I'm going to tell you that we live to regret letting them come in the house after and kind of have the pick of the way because they turned on us and it was ugly. I, yeah. And you see, and I changed the locks the day he died. Yeah. I called my friend. Well, and they didn't come back in. They didn't have any keys or anything. We were just in the in the yeah. first week. We were being generous, and yeah. and that's our spirit, right? Yeah. But I'm going to tell you that we live to regret that decision because they turned and then expected more than they were entitled to quickly, and and the relationship is still very strained to this day. And my mom, um, unfortunately, she killed herself, and that happened in 2017, and we still have a strained relationship here all these years later. Oh, wow. So, sure. I yeah. mean, and, it, and it's a lot of emotion, a, and depending on, no matter how somebody... Death does strange yeah. things, because we had always been very close up until that point. And, I mean, 30-plus years of my life that we were a leave-it-to-beaver family, for lack of a better term, <laughs> and I'm going to tell you, it ain't no more leave-it-to-beaver friends, so... Yeah. I've seen brothers I'm and sure sisters stab each me. other in the back. <laughs> I've seen. I thought you were about to say stab each other literally. I'm like, well, no, oh my no, goodness, not like that. But um, well, thank goodness, because in this day and age, we never know. One of the one of the people <sighs> they. We I could, can't wait for his craziest story, Eric. Uh, yeah, but <laughs> one one of, this is up there probably. But one of the people they we had gotten a contract for their house, somebody to buy it, and then they couldn't provide a clear title. To, to, or they needed enough, like all the heirs to sign it. And right. Some of them didn't. Grow. So then, like a month went by, and she was like, "No, I. Everybody's on board. We're we're good to go. I can, you know, have the title company. We'll get the paperwork, and we need to." Well, after we closed the property, we get a phone call from an attorney who says, um, "This lady forged the signatures of all of her family members oh, and no. took the." I mean, it was $23,000 for the house, so it was, like, a pretty rough house. Right. But, you know, 23 they each got, like, $5,200 or something like that. But they wanted that $5,200, so... Sure. Um, anyway, she she forged all the signatures, and... Good Lord. It was, it was pretty ugly, but... So. That sounds ugly. Um, Woo-wee! Well, so th th this will go into... Uh, so, uh, we... That's another thing. I'm big on preliminary title reports on death. Yeah. I um, send that over. to. That's the first thing I do when I sign my uh, exclusive with whoever the client is, is I get that address over to title and I go, hey, mm -hmm. let me 
run interference on this beforehand because I've ended up with people with employment liens and things that the spouse had no idea was there. That's a that's a whole difficult conversation, mm-hmm. isn't it? Mm-hmm. Just got this title report and we have um $324,000 of employment tax liens. <laughs> so we're a little upside down in this venture. Do you want to you want to start digging into this anyone? Mm-hmm. The the other thing is when it's transfer upon death, like they were like, "Oh, we we did a transfer upon death to my son Michael and then he's going to distribute it. Well, Michael had, you know, so many liens attached Uh-oh. to his properties right. and then they automatically went on to this property and now mm-hmm. to settle this estate, they need to pay it out to if they want to sell the house, they need to pay it out. That's how I ended up with the property uh next to me. Oh. Is because they the in the boys that inherited it had get this, an employment tax liens come to haunt somebody else. It was like I had um, our trusted title partner run that one point three million dollars in liens. That's crazy. That was she said she's never seen one that high before. I hadn't either, to be fair. It was just like accumulation of this and that and the other. So did we say this was complicated? Well, so <laughs> one of the things that I'll point out, right? I mean, obviously, not everyone's like this either, though. To be fair, but. yeah. If you're calling Eddie or Jen or I, we're going to do this. But if you're not, for whatever reason, talking to one of us when you're dealing with inherited property, one of the first things a great realtor is going to do is figure out. Um, or help figure out, because it might take a process, of who actually owns the property, yeah. right? And who so needs to sign? Who needs of, to do that? One of my policies that I do, uh, and I think, I think uh, we all at the table do, is, is that whenever we're dealing with uh, couples, uh, particularly couples that are getting divorces, is I don't communicate with just one of them. I mean, I might answer a text from one of them, but my emails always go to both. My, right, here is exactly what's going on. Here is, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, who are the decision makers? Uh, right, but more importantly, who who's legally vested? So, right. um, because you know, I, we'll do that. We'll have a couple say, "Well, my wife's taking care of it," and I hear that from like the spouse, either spouse, and that's fine. You're still getting copied in the emails, and so in this situation, once the actual like legal ownership is defined, then. All your communication goes to whoever that is. And if that's a group of five siblings, then they all get the emails. Now, it makes it harder on me because then I'll get five different sets of questions potentially and all of that. But that's the right thing to do is to keep the owners involved in what's going on in the process. It's, um, yeah, that's very important. Sometimes when there's like seniors involved, it's kind of hard, especially when like if they're care facility or Mm -hmm. knowing who to communicate with effectively, that's going to get that information. Well, and how often have you had to help, um, uh, we'll call it children of seniors, help them go uh, get power of attorney and that kind of stuff? I most of the time that's set up. Is it uh, by okay. the by the time that I'm involved, it's it's already set up. So I haven't had to. But it's certainly something you would check. Right? It is. It and is something. And do you have power of attorney? Can you send me a copy? If not, here's a lawyer. It's real easy. Go get it done. Yeah, and um, I've been. You know, this is the exact same process as when somebody goes to a nursing home or a care facility, and so I've been helping a lot more people who they find themselves in that situation, and they're. A power of attorneys usually already, you know, been chosen, and right. they get, get they give me that information right away. So it makes it a lot easier. But uh, the process is still the same, and the family still has to go through all of it. Especially if the care facility is like, "Hey, you need to sell everything to get 
your cover or part pay, of the yeah. part of the coverage, you know, sell it. We're going to use that money to pay for the stay, and then when that's out, we're going to go to Medicaid or Medicare. Right. That's a, that's a part of the process. So just real quick, so people are curious, there's two types of powers of attorney out there. There's durable power of attorney, and I am not a lawyer, but just to make this somewhat simple, that's the medical side. So if the, the person is incapacitated and can't make medical decisions, you're given permission to make those for them. And then the regular power of attorney, which I think actually has a name, I forget what it's called, something power of attorney, but we most people refer to it as regular. And that's the ability to make you know financial and other yep. decisions. Yeah, there's a full power of attorney, I yeah. think. I'm and not you, sure if full was the word, but it just means the blanket of everything yeah. encompassed. And those can be for a specific period of time. Or, or a specific or, thing, yeah. or they can be generalized where you're legally allowed to make decisions for that person. Uh, and... Um, uh, and, and as you are dealing with people that are uh, significantly aging, becoming incapacitated, you know, having uh, uh, dementia, memory, any of those things, those are things you need to have discussions with them very early on because if you wait until you're in the throes of them not being able to make a decision, they're a little bit harder to execute. And that, those are things that the trust attorney could set up for you. Absolutely. Uh, as part of that uh, estate plan, they will get all that lined up so that in those situations – you would have that person already identified. Let's circle back to probate for a minute. And this really wouldn't matter whether it's with a will or without a will, but there's this whole thing of figuring out who the executor is going to be. The executor then is figuring out uh, how to uh, appropriately dispose of any assets, um, you know, sell houses, sell cars, et cetera, et cetera, working with uh, any heirs uh, to try to uh, make all of that work. But, um, the court has to actually understand, uh, so the court can oversee all this, does oversee all this, mm -hmm. there's lawyers involved. Scary. And, and, and the court uh, has to understand what that person's assets are. So uh, I've run into this particular situation with helping someone is, is that um, uh, the uh, attorney, uh, the probate attorney, provides the court a list of all of the assets that this person owned. You know, maybe they mm -hmm. owned a couple of properties, a motorhome, a car, whatever it was. Um, and then uh, we go to sell a property and we find out that the attorney didn't actually put this particular home on the asset list. So now you have to go back as a realtor. And this was like my first foray into this really deep. And I'm like, here I am calling probate attorneys going, uh, and then eventually the court, like, how do we get this asset listed on the probate list so the court will approve? Because the court had to approve the sale. Yep. Yep. So we had to have it under contract, and then it had to go to the court through the lawyer where a judge says, yes, this is an acceptable sale uh, because it was a supervised probate. And and so, yeah, uh, kind of messy and Takes and more time. I certainly did not think when I signed up to be a real estate agent that I would be like helping a, people navigate their learning and helping them navigate about probate law. Do you want to explain what supervised means? Uh, I can or you can. Which one do you want? <laughs> well, you brought it up, so I figured. Uh, no, go, I mean. So if, if, if a property or if a probate case is supervised, then you have to take a property, you know, get it under contract and then take it to the probate court and say, hey, I got $100,000 for this house. And they get to say, yes, that's an okay price to sell that house for or no, that's not an okay price. And 
that becomes very tricky and in a supervised situation when there's a lot of deferred maintenance and they're going based off a drive-by, like look at the yard and and look at a few comps around the area, but the inside's a total disaster. Yeah. And so you have to prove what the, the inside, is. yeah, what it's going to be. We were required in this particular case to pay for an appraisal. Yeah. And get a full appraisal done, and then uh, it was pretty clear. Uh, this, you know, essentially, don't sell the house for less than this percentage of the appraisal. Now we actually sold it for over the appraisal, but um, uh, that that all of that are now steps that have to be taken. It was more cash out of pocket from the executor slash heirs who weren't in a financial position to continue to shell out money. So it was very tough on them. Um, and, and by the way, the executor was out of state. Uh, so uh, I mean, you know, she was a wonderful uh, person, and I'm very glad I got to be able to help her. But, yeah, supervised makes it even harder. Yes. Um, and uh, we didn't even talk about, Jen alluded to, when they're establishing heirs, when there's no will, there's this whole thing where you, the I don't, are they still just doing it in the paper? Publish in the paper, isn't it? I believe it's published for yeah. six weeks. Yes, it takes, it's, it's a lengthy process if you have to publish and like. Essentially saying, hey, so and so has passed and if well, anybody has a one, claim. We yeah. were in the process and this is a long time ago before I was uh, as familiar as I am with it now. But we got the house under contract the first time, went through title and got kicked back essentially that we were going to have to do the publishing. And she was a surviving spouse, but apparently he had other children that were unknown. Mm -hmm. And this somehow got discovered, which then forced us to a different process. So we had to contact a lawyer and go through a different process because the lawyer she was utilizing was not familiar enough with this particular like publish uh errors outside of what we knew previously everything else cost us the first contract because of timeline yeah um and so we went back finally got it under contract again had the publishings for the six weeks came back and we we're able to finally get all of this worked out but whoo-wee that was a tough one yes uh i've actually just had one very similar to that yeah the, the surviving spouse had never met one of the children that this gentleman awkward had. yeah 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 not not a good time not a good time and yeah. and that child's mom was listed on a title from 1971 yeah so Ooh. it made it it's actually still out there because it's pretty sticky yeah yeah, uh, yeah. It yeah. i've in run into that situation also. publishing attorneys and then anything with the legal system moves so slow yeah i yeah. mean yeah just so just not a fast process. If if we haven't painted the picture already, uh, we're we're painting it for you that your your realtor can help you. Uh, they're not lawyers. They're you know they're not et cetera, but they can help you. But there's a ton of moving parts here. If we haven't convinced you to go actually do some estate planning, uh, uh, maybe that's our next podcast. Uh, <laughs> I, Probably won't be our next, but maybe we get somewhere. The thing help. I say all the time is like, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Yeah, that's a wonderful that saying. Is, I love that. That is yeah. the motto for my business. It's like just a few things. Like even even not not necessarily an estate plan, but just write down all of your passwords and your banks and your institutions that you have, 401ks and life insurance policies and all that information that somebody might need if you die. 
so that it's in one spot and keep it in a safe, like a safety deposit box or somewhere that they can get it and they know that it's there. Make sure they have a key to the safety deposit yeah, box. That's exactly. one of my dad and I's things is like we go visit the safety deposit box and do these different things. And we do this about every six months. He goes through things with me. And I love my father for that because he really just wants to make sure I have a good understanding of everything that's going. And I know not everybody has that luxury, but I should probably do a little bit of that for my husband. Just well, quite frankly, if I'm being honest, I'm well, not perfect and, at and, it. <laughs> and like the modern version of that is a password vault. Um, yeah. So that's what but they got to have the password. Yep, the password they, vault. Uh, yeah. And so I quiz my wife for like like three times a year. What's the because she makes me she makes me do all this stuff. And so I'm like, all right, what's the main password? And that way you can see all the accounts we have. You can get into them. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. So um, that's a great tip, though, Eddie, uh, to tell people to have all of that in a secure, safe location, whether it's a safe deposit box, whether it's a safe, and then make sure somehow you have communicated that. Because I feel like communication is really a solution to so many things. Really, it is. So in this case, it, it's a solution to uh, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Yep. Yeah. Let's uh, let's jump real quick and pick up one more topic before we close out, and that is taxes. So, uh, and we're gonna again, not being none of us here in the room are tax experts, but uh, we certainly are around taxes. And I think there's a concept that people can understand about uh, inheriting property, uh, about basis that they can understand. So uh, let's talk about a situation that uh, maybe is a little bit nicer financially where uh, you've inherited a property that has a pretty significant value to it. And uh, now uh, you, you've gotten through all the things you need to get through and the house is on the market and you're selling it. So now there's this chunk of cash that's coming to either you or you and the heirs to split. Um, and it's a pretty significant amount. So the real question is, do I owe taxes on all of that? So in, in like as far as like a property uh, capital gains, sorry, yeah, blank, capital right? gains, right? So, so, so a lot of times people won't own a, uh, uh, have a capital gain because of a step up in basis. There you go. When you inherit that house, uh, you get to inherit it at today's current market rate or, or, or what that would be. Now, where somebody would run into an issue of a capital gain is if they hold on to that property for an, a period of time and it goes from today's value or let's say 2020, 2020's value and they are selling it today. We saw a lot of uh, rise in the- Yeah, in the, they're up 10, 15% there. Yeah. So they're going to have a gain on the difference between what they inherited at and what they sold it at today. So, so let's, let's break it down into real numbers. So I inherit a house- today and the value of it today is $300,000. If I sell that house right away for $300,000, I have no tax burden because it essentially came into my ownership as if everything's clear for that 300 grand. If I hold on to it and, and it goes 400 and it yeah. goes 400, then I am going to owe capital gains tax on the difference between when I inherited at 300 and what it is today 400 is that correct that's that would be your hundred thousand yes, dollar gain that's your hundred thousand okay. so yeah. really clear to and our by the way thank you realtors for saving us because let me just tell you that this was a piece of the tax code that really got challenged in the last five years when the Biden administration took over this was one of their targets originally was to have some type of uh, we'll call it an inheritance tax yeah, i'm sure it was labeled a death tax i'm sure annihilate people inheriting properties 
it would completely annihilate them because we've already talked about how many people do not have the financial means and where this becomes a big issue was with a lot of these farms some of these farms have become worth a lot of money and had they had to pay the capital gains on that basis it's 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 life-changing and devastating for people that are inheriting property we're not trying to push them down further so thank you realtors because that was something that i fought hard on personally uh, made a lot of calls to people in congress made a lot of calls to washington dc visited washington dc and talked about how devastating and told them the stories that you know oh, yeah. how this would really just annihilate people um that were inheriting property so just a side note yeah just you, have to well, throw you, that in, in. you inherit somebody's property and they don't have a lot of equity into it and then you're getting tapped for capital gains oh yeah it would on be top devast- of that it'd be mm-hmm. impossible that yep. Uh, and then uh, a big problem with inherited properties is reverse annuity mortgages. That, oh. um, I mean, that's another topic for yeah. another we could day. Spend but a whole day. Hey, hey, let me just say, don't get a reverse mortgage. No. Don't get a reverse mortgage. And I'm not, you know, doling out a lot of advice, but I'm going to tell you that I have yet to see a situation where that worked out positively. Uh, I, yeah. I agree. Yeah, I, um, I, reverse we, mortgages we probably are should like break, uh, in, in a in a podcast break down the nuts and bolts of those so people understand how they work because I know that that they can sound attractive. But yeah, I I I don't know a whole lot of people who've done them, but the few I've done, it has not worked out as wonderful as they have hoped it would. So no. Hey, Eric, can I can I bring up a topic? That, Absolutely. Um, so something that's very big with inheriting houses, getting rid of the stuff that people have to, and. Families, I typically see families go in and they start um, deciding what to do. You know, if they want to keep stuff, that's that's great. It's their stuff. They're going to separate it out. That's fine. But if they are just starting to do it because they're like, oh, well, I guess I'll take this and I'll just, I guess I'll take that. Well, if you take too much stuff, there might not be enough stuff for an estate sale company to want to even look at your property then now you're going to be calling 1-800-GOT-JUNK yeah <laughs> now you're paying money to get rid of this stuff instead of the estate sale company giving you money to take it away um so that's uh, something that i caution people on is like you know be really like mindful yeah when you're taking stuff out be mindful do you need the like do you really want it or is it going to be is your kids going to be throwing it away when when you die you know that kind of thing but the other thing is um People just start throwing away stuff. They'll just be like, and they they get trigger happy. That's throwing my dad. <laughs> and they throw away a lot of value, things yeah, that they don't think are valuable sure. at all. And then, or they just don't care to mess with it. And that's my dad. It's not that he doesn't think it's valuable. He's like, I ain't got time for that. And if that's the case, that's totally fine. But uh, a lot of people then they're like, okay, come in and take a look at what I have. And I was like, well, where's all the stuff? Well, we threw away all the, and this is what we left. We left the furniture. Well, the furniture is not really worth nobody anything. wants a dining room set with a curio and a hutch anymore. Nobody has China. Nobody has a dining room almost anymore. So like the, it, I just say, don't throw anything away. Just let somebody else who's a professional come in and look at it first, because there could be a postcard or a stack of postcards. Postcards are very valuable, actually, right now. Uh, Ooh, there's a lot of pro collectors. Tip, everyone, postcards. Um, so before you just, just start throwing away paper products or whatever, they like have an expert come in and look at what you have. Uh, these are like really no brainers, but like gun collections, coin collections, silvers, like real silver, not and the gold. silver plated stuff. 
Um, we sold a silver set for $1,900, like a silverware, actual silver. Oh, good. I've got one. We need to talk after this. Okay. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, having somebody come in and take a look at some of those unique collections. Now, Precious Moments, I'm sorry to tell everybody those Beanie are. Beanie Babies, they're out. They're. Uh, Barbies. Me, I think there's Hummel, probably a few Hummels, Barbies. Hummels but have still kept their value. Yeah, Hummels have, yeah. but Hummels, the, what the heck are those? Yeah, well, they're they're the real precious moments made in Germany, and they've been around for a thousand years. So yeah, I don't even know what a Hummel is. Yeah. I um, must be. Yeah, I'm younging myself. I'm yes. not aging myself. That's I'm right. younging myself. Um, <laughs> but they're. I'm just saying, don't throw anything away before. People have a professional even clothes in. even clothes people just donate all the clothes like if you had a 1970s acdc t-shirt that's like 40 50 bucks people pay that kind of money for old vintage clothes um true vintage yeah, yeah. Mm. that's this is good uh, this is good advice because i think uh and i'm i'm, I'm confident i was guilty of that that at some Me point too. we just look at it take our own understanding of value and and uh uh make those decisions like oh trash not oh it's an old raggedy t-shirt or whatever and and i know a handful of things that that uh, have kept value just because i'm old but uh i i don't know at all i wouldn't have known the acdc t-shirt not that my father had one but you know i i actually haven't run into an acdc acdc t-shirt yet but um vintage clothes there's a lot of people who want those things and they get thrown out so quickly yeah um Sorry, I, I was going to say something, and I forgot. No, that's all right. There's I, so it, much. Um, yeah, there is. There's just a lot to unpack, no pun intended. The so. <laughs> the other good thing about inherited properties that for buy side is that you could get into a house that you probably couldn't afford otherwise uh, if it because of an inherited property situation. Now, you're going to have to probably put in some sweat equity and stuff like that, but it's a great opportunity for buyers out there to get into a house that maybe they wouldn't be able to afford or a neighborhood that they wouldn't be able to afford otherwise. And it's, I, I love selling inherited houses it's just to see people who get them because they're like, oh man, I love this house. Yes, the nostalgia. It's, it's a little bit, the wallpaper over there is killing me, but... <laughs> Um, right. Frequently, they're not mistreated. They're just dated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's yeah, a, that's a, a, lot of that's those, a yeah. different level of DIY than a house that's been just you know mistreated, and not maintained. All right. Well, we're going to run out of time here, so we have to get to, and I, I'm expecting a whopper, so I'm maybe setting you up to fail here. A Eddie, whopper. I apologize. But Big uh, fish on the line. That's right. Give us uh, give us the craziest situation you've been in uh, doing this. Man, thing. I've really been racking, because like every situation's kind of crazy in its, in its own respect. Um, so this isn't one that I actually dealt with, but she called me thinking that I could help. I get a lot of calls from people after the fact when they get robbed or whatever, Hey, can you help me with this? Can That's you help sad. me do this? And so I was in a like local uh, newspaper out in uh, Grandview area, and they wrote an article about what we do. And this lady called me up, and she goes, can you help me? My cousin, who is a Mensa, stole everything. Whoa. Are you familiar with the Mensa? Mensa, I, the super I, intelligent I, yeah. people. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I wasn't familiar with that at the yeah. time when she tells me that. And um, I was like, what? Okay, start over. And she goes, my dad was dying and my cousin convinced him to write me out of the trust and had it done like right before it was right before the um, he died. And so 
she was like, my cousin paid off this attorney and he did this and he did that. And my dad used to work for Walton, uh, Sam Walton. Sam Walton. And they mm -hmm. had a house over in Westwood. Isn't that the yeah. uh, Westwood. Woodside mm -hmm. area? Yeah. Um, and so she, she's like, he, he wrote me out of the will. Then when my dad died, he filed a restraining order against me and kicked me out of the house and didn't let me go in to even like look through the stuff or get anything out of there. And then she was like, she was like, but he gave me $700,000. And I was like, oh, well, isn't that good? And I mean, $700 seems like a lot of money to 700, me. $700,000? Uh, yeah, $700,000 is a lot of money. And so uh, I was like, well, what'd you do with that? And she was like, well, I used it to fight him in court to oh. prove that he. And so she spent all of the $700,000 oh, no. trying to fight her cousin and loss so i don't know how much money was in this estate but if you get seven hundred thousand, you might just well you oh. might, might just be happy with that but i'm curious to I know mean, how I'm, much was actually in the estate i'm sure she was crushed but oh man yeah no but if it was all like eyes dotted t's crossed and i'm sorry if you're not mints and you're going up against one eesh. yeah well yeah. i mean they're any, geniuses man anybody who's who's got it figured out anybody who's uh, you know has oh. access to the information that can piece it all together can you know the, the the thing that like runs through my mind in that moment is is the challenge has to be did dad sign the paperwork of sound mind yeah. right and and i'm sure that's where her lawyer's challenged but it's a shame you know it's a shame that somebody feels entitled or somebody is evil enough but we all know what happens, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and so oh. this is part of why, uh, you know, I think every one of us at this table and anybody really recommends, hey, get your house in order. Go get an estate lawyer. Figure out how all this stuff is going to get transferred so none of this happens. So that you're not um, uh, leaving a an ugly legacy behind. Yeah. Right. The, that, that's absolutely it. And, you know, our new slogan at Kansas City Legacy Properties is we want your inheritance to be a blessing and not a burden. And yeah. by doing these small things, it can make it a whole lot easier for everybody else involved. Yeah. Yep. Well, I, I think this is super valuable information, and I'm sure our listeners are really hopefully taking something away from this today. So, Eddie, if somebody wanted to get a hold of you, how would they do it? Uh, they can give our office a call at uh, 816 307-7163. They can reach out to us on the internet at kclegacyproperties.com. And we are also on Facebook at Kansas City Legacy Properties. Excellent. Fantastic, folks. That's Eddie Van Buskirk, the owner of Kansas City Legacy Properties. Eddie, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Everybody, that was another great episode of Get Real KC. You have been listening to Get Real KC with Eric Jurgensen and Jen Justice. For more information or to contact our hosts, visit us at dreamhomesbygen.com where you can find more episodes exploring real estate as it matters to you.